What's up, Drew? Hey, how's it going? What? what? <laughs> it's so fast. I don't even know how to... I, I mean, I'm done now. I can't even go on. I'm so disrupted. <laughs> Welcome to How College Works. Today I thought we would sit down and talk about academic dishonesty. Not my favorite topic, but one that I thought we might have some things to dig into. So I thought I would start with you, Drew, and you know, from your experience in high school, kind of what does that mean? What is it focusing on? And then can we discuss maybe in your district anyway what uh, typical results or consequences are? Sure. <clears throat> so you know, as far as I understand it, the, the academic dishonesty or plagiarism is kind of the main focus a lot of times is that policy is set at the at the school site level and then approved by the school board. So it's possible that each the, the wording of each policy in the student handbook is going to be different at each high school in town, and then from district to district, it may be uh, pretty different. Or what the consequences specifically? Those consequences are going to be varying. I, I looked at one just now from I don't know 2006 2007 school year and. The consequences on that old one were just uh, the second time you get caught, it's a zero. You just get a zero. And our, our district has moved away from this consequence of like, oh, you got caught cheating, caught plagiarizing, now you're zero, zero, zero. And our policy has moved more toward, um, okay, resubmit, redo the work. Uh, or do the work. Properly cite your work and uh, come up with original work instead of whatever else. So the consequence is you have to do more work now <laughs> and actually turn it in. And I think, yeah, in, in high school, what I've seen, this is this really is focused on, or when teachers talk about it, we're talking about plagiarism of English papers and or a writing assignment due in history class, uh, you know, or less so than, than, I don't think anybody's faking data in a biology lab in high school. Well, that's possible, but that's, you know, less it's a whole lot more work to fake data than it is to, to it. take data. <laughs> I think yeah. the same way about more like, I, I guess testing, taking tests, you know, uh, yeah. somebody would, I've seen that where they've snapped a picture first period and sent it to their buddy who's taking the same test sixth period. Mm -hmm. And like our math department is smart enough to switch versions. And so <laughs> the, they both get busted because they had both the wrong answers, even though it was the wrong version of the test. I mean, it was some little, trickery like that where, yeah, right now I'm going to put a zero in the grade book on the test and you have to retake the test. So I'll give you a third test, everybody gets to retake. Yeah. Yay. So, I mean, that, I mean, that doesn't seem crazy to me, especially in terms of like the work, need, you need to do the work and, and learn the things. For us, I think a lot of that up until like the academic dishonesty is left at the discretion of the professor. And so, like, really our, our stuff, I mean, this is probably true for yours as well, doesn't really come in, it doesn't really talk about anything until it's like a serious issue. If it's somebody, if it's something that you can take a student aside and talk about, and it's like, I think you made a mistake here, or you were doing something that led you, like, not meaning to do something, but you did inadvertently, then that's something that we just handle however we wish to handle it. In the text for our student handbook, we have an honor code. I mean, we have an honor code. It is also in the student handbook. And one of the things that it talks about is 
when you reach that high level of academic dishonesty, cheating in shorthand parlance, it's actually a grievance that gets filed against the student. And so there's a, a procedure that goes through on that. And the results or the consequences of that grievance and whether it reaches the level of grievance is up to the professor to decide. The students don't really have a say in that. They can appeal, but that's a whole other process. That sounds really legalistic. It, it but, is. Again, you know, but again, your students are adults or full, full on every bit of uh, right responsibility of, as an adult, and my students are not. Yeah. Well, yeah. and the stakes are a little higher because you can't like kick your students out of a class or the school for those kinds of things, can you? Uh, that's a. I don't. I don't know. I'm gonna. You know, I'm gonna lean towards no. But I mean, I think the first response, if there was something at that level, it would be to move teachers and yeah. say, well, this is some kind of broken relationship at this point. We're gonna move English teachers and see if this is a. a really a teacher thing or if this child just cannot produce his own work. I don't know. Mm -hmm. I don't think it's a suspendable, oh, we're going to expel you for, for plagiarism. It's just like, how long do you need to keep going before you, uh, before you can actually do the work? Or they would say, aha, we have, now that you're 22 and still not turned in your English essay, we can you know, look at alternative placements, yeah. of, right. you know, continuation school and those kind of things. It just... Yeah, I suppose... The ultimate consequence just sounds like you don't get your diploma and instead have to get your GED. Yeah, well, there's, I mean, there's, the districts are obviously trying to uh, keep people in, in the district to complete that way because mm -hmm. we believe that uh, a diploma is better than a GED. And so we have a lot of options for students who are real close but not quite going to graduate on time at 18. So we still have, you know, adult school and night school and, you know, this and that, that uh, they can they can go finish the three classes they have left, and, and they're a lot more flexible. Not to say that, oh, well, now you can turn in plagiarized work, but the, the type of work they're doing to show mastery for, for their diploma is different. So, mm -hmm. you know, it, it kind of removes the, it removes the requirement to cheat, I guess. I don't know. Interesting, yeah. But it very much is sort of supporting, <clears throat> trying to help somebody benefit of the doubt, move forward, and sort of get there. And I, I think most of our policies assume that we've tried to work through that before this grievance is actually sort of enacted, at, at which point there are really only two options listed in the student handbook. They can get a, an F on the assignment with no opportunity to re, uh, rework it, or they can be expelled from the class and expelled means you get an F on your transcript. Right, and you don't, like, do not come to my class anymore. Like, don't even walk in the door. Right. And there is an option at above my pay grade. So I, I make that decision for my class. If we actually get to the point of grievance. And then I, my boss, the VPAA, the Vice President of Academic Affairs, they may have seen something like this come before. They actually can... In, can ins, uh, institute like harsher penalties if they feel that that is appropriate. So you could get expelled from college, from our college, if there was if you had done this uh, multiple times and they were serious offenses. Yeah, I mean I think a lot of times high school students who are having a lot of plagiarism pop up on their on their discipline file have other things happening also, and they they may not, you know, if you're a person with boatloads of, of discipline file, uh, 
on behavior, it, it may be a while until you sort of those things out and actually get to college. You may be a non-traditional student and have sort of the, so you know what I mean? Like, I, I don't think that, I get the feeling I don't have numbers to back it up. I get the feeling we're not like expelling students off of plagiarism alone. If, if kids are getting expelled, it's due to head code violations of, of fights and mm -hmm. threats and stealing and those kind of things. Yeah, that, I mean, that's my impression. Uh, I do not have a child in high school, so I've not paid attention to those statistics, but that seems much more likely that you know physical violence is much more likely to get you expelled for whatever reason, whether it... Well, plagiarism it. tends to only hurt yourself. <laughs> it's true. It's true. It is a non-violent way to hurt yourself. Well, I don't know, what's the recourse for, this is off topic, but what, what's the recourse for parents or, or the student, the appeal or whatever? Because if, if a student were expelled for plagiarism, there would, I, I think, nine out of ten times there would be a lawsuit and there would be an appeal of the parents to the district saying, you prove that my student is, is, is requires expelling because the district member has a mandate to teach kids until whatever, at age 16 or 18 or something, depending on the state. You know, they, the parents have to get their kids to school, and, and, and there would be a lawsuit. And it's, it's worth more money to not go to court and say, all right, we're going to offer these choices to the parent. You can, your kid can come back in a different class. Your kid can go to continuation high school. You know, your kid can, I, I, you know, offer some choices rather than just say expel for <laughs> plagiarism. And imagine the headlines. And I think you're right, and that would make a lot of sense to be like, well, if we – could offer this thing, we don't, we don't have court costs and all this other stuff, that it, it makes a lot of sense to do that. But those students are also minors, and the parents can be legally in charge of that. But it's also getting expelled for plagiarism in college, like it's not a one, like it's not like you plagiarize once on your, your freshman composition paper, and then you're expelled. Like I can only imagine that would happen if it's like this is a recurring, consistent issue where it's not just one professor, but like many professors. I don't know what would constitute as many, but some schools have like a three strikes and you're out sort mm -hmm. of situation. Like if you have three grievances, not just like oh we've talked about this, but you know like I give students an opportunity to revise or do stuff, but not all professors do. They file a grievance at the first instance sometimes. It's true. And I don't think we have a number or whatever. I think they look at the severity of the case and if it's intentional or unintentional because some grievances could be filed on unintentional plagiarism too. Yeah, I mean our process, if you want to appeal that, the student has to say they're gonna appeal within three days of the consequences being instituted and then must collect information showing that they've talked to the professor and that it wasn't a bookkeeping error that the, or it was a bookkeeping error that the professor didn't correct or like they have, they have to present evidence that it is the professor's fault and that it was is kind of kind of malicious on the professor's side for our procedures they have a kind of a, a tough hill to climb but again it's like that's not expulsion that's contesting a grade in a class so that's like they have to so a student would have to not just claim it, but prove with right. you know, the burden of proofs on the student to show that the professor's out to get me. Yeah. Well, but the burden of proof is on the professor initially. I can't, like, I've had students where I'm like, I know they didn't write this. 
This is markedly different from anything they've ever turned in and suddenly they're just an awesome writer. But I can't find, I can't prove that it's plagiarism. None, none of my searches, none of my, you know, and I'll spend hours sometimes because I'm like, I'm going to get you. And then I can't, and if I can't prove it, even if I know in my heart, my heart of hearts, my little writing heart is going, Wah! I have to give them the grade. I have to have the evidence before I can even present it to them as a potential grievance. So the evidence is, our, the burden is already on me to prove to begin with. And so then they have to offer counter evidence of some sort. Yeah, so legal, it's kind of legalistic. Should we talk about plagiarism a little bit? Because that's we've we've couched a lot about in plagiarism. In physics, it would show up in lab reports. Like if you looked at somebody's lab report from a couple years before you, and they're using the same labs, you would, and you copied their lab, then you would get this. That also kind of counts as plagiarism. It probably does count as plagiarism. Well, kind of. Kind of no. <laughs> no, kind of. That does. I that is plagiarism. Copied their labs. I thought it was fine. So. We, so as I'm teaching as part of the first year writing seminar, you know, we've had a discussion about plagiarism and discussing sort of where, how we as, a, as the faculty who are running that want to a, approach it. And I'll give what I, my understanding, and Melody, you stop me when I get it wrong, because you understand a much broader understanding than I do, which is that many students have been told that when they go to college and they plagiarize, they're going to get their asses nailed to the wall by their professors, and they get Fs, and then all kinds of consequences are going to rain down on them. You well, know. and given our just our discussion right now, right? Yeah, it really seems this, like yeah. yeah. Uh, so there's a possibility. Uh, but one of the things we did we discussed is that when there's that much fear and tension, it sort of it locks you up. You can't actually learn when you're nervous it like literally shuts down your higher order thinking you're you're all in the sort of fight or flight mode and so you're you're not being able to think things through and what that means in this case is that if you're really freaking out about citations and you can't logically think through how to do your citations or what might be reasonable and you're stuck on the well i just got to go call, email my professor, or call them, or talk to them, and then we get frustrated because it's like, you have a sheet, why didn't you read the sheet? Well, it didn't say exactly this thing. It's like, you couldn't just generalize that a little bit? And, you know, so we start, we start to get frustrated because all of this burden gets pushed onto us, partly because all of the stress gets pushed onto them, and so we want to diffuse that situation. You can't learn when you're just freaking out all the time. And so we're like, okay, we're gonna spell it out when we get to it soon. aside. Yeah. Uh, you guys in college use MLA style at all? So, it's, didn't we, we did this, <laughs> do we do this thing like where we're like talking about like the myths? Remember those tweets that people were like, Yes. Yeah. And I hear my okay, students say <laughs> all the time that they're like, Well, my teacher said that MLA is what I'm going to use throughout my entire college career. And I was like, Nope. Yeah. So, like MLA is something that we use in the humanities and a lot of first year writing classes do use it because they know students are coming in with that experience and they try to ease the transition. But for my second uh, like writing class, Web 101 and a 102, I require them to try APA. And so I, I try to help them switch to learning another citation style because they need that rhetorical flexibility. 
but like almost any other subject area, psychology, APA, sociology. I think she uses APA, but she uses other stuff. I mean, Does history uses like Chicago. History uses Chicago. Physics uses some version of IEEE. Yeah. So like they're not if they're writing papers in any class besides their first year writing class that's probably taught or maybe taught maybe by an English professor, then they'll use MLA. But otherwise, there's no guarantee. Oh, that was just an aside because I know I think you guys have talked about it. I remember one of my professors was like, "Which style have you not used yet?" And I said, "Oh, Chicago." Okay, do Chicago style. Ah, <laughs> You're like, "Oh, MLA." <laughs> yeah, but no. So we run into that a lot, and then of course, the, when you switch citation styles, it ups the anxiety because they feel like suddenly the plagiarism rules have changed. Oh. No, let's, let's take it as read that, that a student maybe turned in a draft and the, and the professor has said like, hey, this looks like, this is like not your work, this looks like you've cited a source but not cited it properly or, or at all. And like, I think a, a person who's, who's getting turned in for plagiarism or academic dishonesty, this is like a huge portion of their writing, of their paper, of their mm -hmm. you know, term paper, essay, whatever's being turned in, a, a big section, a big chunk three sentences, two, one sentence, whatever, is they're, they're passing it off as their own work. Andrew Hyland wrote this, and it's really, I just lifted it off of so-and-so's research from 2012 or whatever. I mean, that's still plagiarism. Right, right. I mean, but it, it, so it's beyond like I had anxiety about citations, and oops, I just forgot, air quotes, I forgot my citations. It's well, more like there's... I was trying to write some stuff the night before, and so I started right. cutting pasting. So there's, there are two different I guess, general modes of plagiarizing. One is intentional plagiarism, and one is unintentional plagiarism. So copying and pasting stuff off the internet and pretending like it's yours, that's a, that's a big no-no in my class. Like, that's intentional plagiarism. Forgetting whether it quotes or not, but having information from a source, and then you tell me, well, yeah, I got that from a source. I didn't put my citation in there. Even if it was on the work site, I'm like, okay, let's put it in there. You, gotta be, you have to pay attention yeah. to details. These things matter. Yeah. So if you're like, I'm going to copy this website and paste it in here as a quote, but I forget to put the quotes on, and I forget to cite it because it's two in the morning when you do your best work. Yeah, um, under pressure. That would... <laughs> that, I, I would count that as unintentional plagiarism. Buying a paper online... Intentional. You're going to get a big fat F. I'm not, there's no, there's no second chance with that on me. No. Like, so like, diverse, like the difference between intentional and unintentional de determines how I handle that. Like if it's just like, well, I'm, I'm, everything's like a teaching moment for me, especially for my first two year, my first two semesters of writing. And I'm like, hey, just so you know, this is what you need to do. And as long as they fix it, I have no problem. Right. Um, but, you know, if they... So basically our stance is like this is, needs to be a learning environment. It needs to be a safe place for us in the first year writing seminar for our students to work with sources, to fall down and fail in using those sources properly, but then be able to get support and be able to learn from that and move forward without fear of everything just getting crushed because of it. So if I come back like, this doesn't seem like you, and they're like, oh, that's a, you know, I, I was pulling... I was setting stuff up and I pulled in a bit, bit from a website and I was going to paraphrase and cite it, but I forgot to because I got busy with other stuff. I'm like, okay, great. Then you need to paraphrase and cite that and I need to see it in the work site and I want to see that edit in when you resubmit. 
Which is a good reason to have drafts, because if we didn't have drafts, I would have to take off major points for that. Exactly. I mean, so that's, I mean, having one of the, one of the ways we do it is that they have a peer review draft, they revise, they have a professor draft, and then I will give them a grade and feedback, and if they wish to revise, they, they can do so. So they have this. What's your, peer review uh, was so powerful for me learning to be a writer. Not that I'm a good writer, but it was, it was powerful feedback for me. To get better. Um, can to you get, repeat get, that, please? <laughs> <laughs> um, so, what is your cohort like in your classes? Is it pretty, uh, you know, homogenous 18, 19 year olds, or do you have a group of, of like elder peers who could stand there in, as students in the class and say, like, hey man, I'm 37. This, I got to let you guys know that stuff is on shaky ground. You need to go double check. Citations, right? I mean, is, do you yeah. have a good mix of peers in your in your class? I'm the only I'm off topic. Yeah, I'm the only 37 year old in, in that class. Yeah, they're all our students are like really traditional, like 18, 19 year olds, and so we spend a lot of time trying to help them become better peer reviewers. So that's it's really about teaching them how because and I'm not trying to like badmouth any high school teacher because some high school teachers are phenomenal and then there are all those others because they're always slackers and everybody's like group right um, but they sometimes are like well yeah we just exchange papers and like you know circled commas or whatever and so they never really drives me crazy gave feedback on the ideas it was more like an editing exercise. That's called editing, yeah. Yeah, or they weren't really, they're not really sure what to look for, and so we have to guide them. So I expect high quality peer review, and when they don't do it, I get pretty mad at them. Yeah. So do you teach that as one of your course, in one of your days? Is, yeah. It's like, hey, here's quality feedback. Here's, you know, uh, critical questioning of, of the content of, of the paper versus. Yeah, I think an 18-year-old walking in day one would be like, hey, your writing looks great. It's so yeah. much better yeah. than mine. We spend, we spend time on that. Yeah. Well, and it gets better as the semester goes because now they're getting my feedback. And I try to model the kind of feedback I want them to give, asking questions or saying, like, what's the connection between this and that? Or I don't understand where not, this paragraph came from. I'm not really getting a dominant impression here sort of, because they're writing profiles right now. I'm hearing it right. It sounds like you know, part of the mitigation or the or the approach to plagiarism policy is is to uh, embed that in your in your teaching and having that peer review and having the frequent drafts and frequent feedback on like the the quality of the content and say you know this is this is pretty good but it's a, it's getting a little too long to call it your own writing at this point when yeah. you, you know, right. that kind of exactly yeah frequency of feedback through the semester. Right. Yeah. Right. And, I mean, and so that sort of more feedback and more contact and is, is kind of where we're, where we were aiming for that sort of safer space in terms of plagiarism in order to be able to have someone point out that that's the case and then correct that mistake. So to get slammed for plagiarism in our, in our class, you, you know, have to be I, willfully ignoring me. Yeah, basically, like, I have to like, here's this whole paper that you obviously did not write, or I told you like, hey, that big thing that you put in there, you got to get that fixed and cite it properly, and then you don't. Right, and that happens. They decide that either they know better or they didn't really listen or look at my feedback or whatever. I mean, and that is, here's unfortunately... Here's one more question, sorry to keep no, talking about is it. It's pretty, is it pretty typical in a one-on-one -on -one English course to get that in a one-session or two-session lesson on 
here's an example of a bad plagiarism paper that's 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 intentionally plagiarized. Here's how we can tell. Here's how here's how to fix it. Here's a second example. Let's all let's all correct it together so that they can kind of see what is a what is a car wreck of a paper. <laughs> and then it's like, hey, you've been informed. You're now you're in third year, you know, sixth semester of, of some kind of writing course, upper level baccalaureate writing, and you're turning in garbage. You're informed. It's your fault now. So there's a lot of questions there. Um, so typically if a 101 class is taught by somebody with a composition and rhetoric degree, I would say yes, those conversations are happening. They might not happen in the exact way of showing them all of these examples you're talking about, but I have a whole day dedicated to just, let's talk about plagiarism and the type of plagiarism, and I try to sort of diffuse the situation. And we're just now starting to work with sources because our 102 class is really where we do researched writing. And so I go into that in more detail in that class, and we do spend some time, I'm like, okay, let's take this paragraph, let's paraphrase it, and then we like compare each other's paraphrases and we pick out where it might be too similar to the original. And you know, I also direct the writing center, so we have workshops on these things. So yes, students are aware. However, they don't think, and uh, students, please freaking listen, they don't think that the things I'm teaching them in 101 or 102 are applicable to their upper division level writing classes. Yes. Why? Because I'm an English teacher. I don't teach physics, so why would what I say about writing matter in Peter's class, for example? And so they don't take that information, whether that's willfully or not, maybe they just don't think to transfer it, but this research, and this is really depressing for my life, shows that what I teach them in 101 and 102 does not go to other classes. So when other professors are like, what did you teach them? I have to be like, I taught them, I'm sorry they didn't retain it or whatever, but so, so they're not taking it. The technical term for that is called transferal? No, it's not. Taking what you learned in one class. It's called transfer. I'm going to sound like okay. I say transfer. So the transfer, but as someone who's also worked on stuff like this, well, it is rare. Sense, we call it transfer. It's rare for transfer to happen in any subject. So it's not just you. Well, that's great, except for you probably don't get the questions of what are you teaching them in physics? <laughs> no. Do you see what I'm saying? So like everyone I, thinks I, okay. that the first one or two semesters of writing should be enough and everyone including students because they don't want to take additional classes either but for whatever reason and so this is just recent in the field it's kind of depressing but so in theory they should know that stuff in an upper division level writing class and it's in their brain somewhere but whether they're recalling it and putting that information to use is really hit and miss. Well that's sad to hear. I know. I don't know what I'm doing with my life most days. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Right, so. <clears throat> so anyway, don't be academically dishonest. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the part of the thing is that we've structured this class so that our students have multiple times to get feedback and to ask for help. And if that's not structured into the class you're taking, it behooves you to do it on your own. I know it's a pain to write multiple drafts, but it doesn't mean like everything night and day has to change. We have to pause for the listeners to look up behooves. Uh, it is good for you. <laughs> I like behooves. It is something you should do. It is good for you to, to take it to your professor and say, what do you think about right. this? And this is probably super scary if you have a professor who is going to come down like a ton of bricks and totally throw the book at you for plagiarism if they think you plagiarized because that's a very intimidating role that they're playing and and 
probably are they are an intimidating person for that reason. But that's the person you need to talk to. That's the person you say, I've written this draft. Would you please give me feedback on whether I am handling sources properly? That, you know, that, am I inadvertently plagiarizing? I did not mean to, yeah. but please give me some feedback on this. And that means you probably got to cut it out pretty far in advance. Because if it's like even two days before it's due, you're probably going to make them a little frustrated because they're going to want to read through it and give you feedback. So if they read through it and get you back in a day, that can actually sometimes be a pretty fast turnaround for somebody who has a lot of grading and papers and things that they need to be dealing with. And so that might be a quick turnaround for them and leaving you very little time to actually address what the issue is. And so I realize that what I'm saying for many students is going to be a heavy lift, as in turn a draft into your professor a week before it's due. So they have two, three days to look at it, and then you have two, three days to revise it. And again, I think that's the, that's the level of, of wisdom or experience that a non-traditional older mm -hmm. uh, student is able to share with the rest of the students. Is like, you know, how did you do so well in this? Well, I turned the draft in a week ahead of time, got feedback from the student, from the professor, and then resubmitted. But, you know, I mean, as a, as a student in college, I didn't pick that up until, yeah, third year through or something. Yeah. Well, I hope that your first year writing class had something sort of set up, and I try to point it out because I can't assume they're going to pick up this stuff subconsciously and then apply it. So I have to overtly say, okay, I've worked in these these deadlines for you, these milestones. You have to have 75% of the draft ready on this day, then you have another week, and then you have to have the whole draft ready on this day, and then I give you another week, and then I give you feedback, and then you have more time to revise. Sometimes you just get your assignment sheets and you have a 10-page paper due at the end of the semester. You have to build in those, those milestones in terms of having a classmate look over it, go to the writing center, go have a meeting with your professor. They don't build that in for you for all those courses. So this is supposed to model that, that method. Um, but I have to like actually tell them because they don't. They're not picking it up. When I'm not going to be like, oh, you're done. But like really, I have to say, hey, this is what. And I know it's a pain. They hate, I sometimes say, hey, hate doing the drafts. And they resent me, but... Uh... I mean, I think we... I'm sure I've said multiple times, I only really learned to write when I wrote things over and over and over again. I happened to be writing, like, weekly lab reports that were the same form with different content, but mm -hmm. it wasn't until I started to do that that I saw how to do things. So multiple drafts are really <clears throat> the only way to sort of... to give yourself the perspective on these things. And the feedback that I've found on students who have done... revised after their professor draft turned into me on our first assignment was like, I, really, I learned that I had to revise. I had to ask for help. It was like, yeah, yes, yes, that is the lesson to take away here. Look, I'm going to throw this out here. There's a reason nobody is playing Mozart's first 300 um, things that he wrote. Everything that you hear from Mozart is always, you know, K number 500 or something, which indicates it's the 500th piece that he published because the first things that he wrote at age 16 or 12 or whatever are all garbage. You know, and it's the same in, in, in writing where... Well, and it's worse than that. Drafts is, is, uh, yeah, is I, the way to get better. Well, and, it, and I, I think it's, it's even worse than that because like a symphony is like a book. He revised it. He didn't just write it all in one go. I'm sure he revised it as he was going. What you're saying is that we're getting the final revisions of like his 500th book. The first 300 books are crap, <laughs> which means it's, it's not just 
It's not just you write that first essay and revise it a few times. It's like a really good writing is something that you'll, by, if you're writing your, in your junior year or your senior year, an essay on the same length, on the same topic, even if you revise it the same number of times, is going to be much better after you've had the practice and, and built more tools and stuff like that. The fastest way to get there is to do revisions, to do drafts. So plagiarism, don't do it. Yeah. Also, revise if you can. <laughs> right. And probably the best, the safest way to avoid plagiarism is to have an early draft. And again, it doesn't, like Melody said, <clears throat> their peer reviews are at 75% complete. So if it's a four-page paper, they have to have three pages done, but they don't have to have that last page. And so when you want a professor to look something over, it's probably a good rule to be about the same mark. More than halfway done, you don't need it complete. About three-quarters of the way done, please take a look. Let me know if I'm on the right track. If I'm on the right track or if I'm misusing sources is probably the phrase you want to say because that means that I'm trying to handle my sources correctly. If I'm plagiarizing, it's because I'm just forgetting to cite or I don't have everything in my bibliography or you know I'm just not following all the rules. And that can help a lot, but it then removes all of that anxiety and pressure for what you hand into them for feedback to be absolutely perfect. It can have mistakes, and then they will tell you about it. So this probably has nothing to do with this, so feel free to edit this out later. But of you, you have 10 students in your seminar class. How many of them did a revision for their first essay? I think about half of them did. One of them, I think, did but didn't write a memo. So didn't get it graded. One of them did, but had like already had like a 95 or something. I was like, yeah. are you wasting my time? Yeah, so it seems to me, and I don't know what the deal is, but the students who need to revise most are the ones who don't as often. And so there are students who I'm like, okay, you just needed a little bit of help, but you're off just enough that your grade's a little low. Let me tell you how to kind of fix it, and I think that you could make this a strong paper. And it's those students, like those 70s, mm -hmm. that really, and they're like, I guess they're fine with that. But I'm always disappointed at who chooses to revise and who doesn't. And I'm like, and so like I was imploring students, I was grading before I came in here, please, please consider revising this. The, the best way to become a better writer is to look at feedback and, and implement it and decide what to do and what not to do. Mm -hmm. I had one student who had <clears throat> a pretty solid C on their paper and she chose to revise and she came in and we talked through on her memoir about you know what was it that she wanted her reader to get out of it what were the things that I was getting out of it while I was reading you know how to how to sort of arrange these and maybe like what are the most important things what might be details of things we don't need she revised that thing up into an A paper like it's totally possible it's, it's totally possible especially if you go in and talk to the professor and be like I know I'm not doing these things well. You know, what are the things I need to be doing? How might I do those? Because they're the people with the most perspective about how what is needed and how to do it. This really turned into a podcast about writing, which is fine because writing's super Well, no, I think you know, I, I think it still connects because we could see, we can definitely see the connection how we got there of you yeah, know, plagiarism yeah. the ways to to address it ahead of time is to practice 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 writing, ask for feedback. Uh, you know, be comfortable in your topic ahead of the due date so you're not panicked into just throwing slop on the page. Also, don't be an intentional cheater. Yes, that's, that's no fun. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, part of the thing is that all these horror stories that you hear are intentional plagiarism or yeah. things that are just like, this is just a bad person. Wow. <laughs> I mean, in terms of the choices they have made. Well, yes, but research shows that most students who intentionally plagiarize do so because they're paralyzed by anxiety or fear of failure. Okay. And so, like, backing yourself into that corner is not the best option. So that whole, I work best under pressure. Not bad people do. Okay. Right. So, okay, fine. Not bad people. The guy, uh, the, I think this, I don't think, I think this is actually real. There was a guy who climbed in a basement window in UW-Madison to law, to open up a professor's computer or file cabinet to look at the exam ahead of time. He was not in that class. Oh. <laughs> His girlfriend was. Oh, what a nice gift. Yes. <laughs> Except he got expelled. Uh-huh. She did not because he he would not admit that she was involved. Oh. So he's, he's, he's actually a bad person, but it's not because of the plagiarism. <laughs> right. 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 Well, you know, in terms of academic design, I think he definitely made some poor choices. Those are some those are some poor choices. <laughs> that that is breaking into a, a faculty member's office. I, I feel well, like I'm not going on too far out of limb to say that kind of makes you in that moment. That's a crime. A bad person. That's yeah, that's beyond academic honesty or dishonesty. That's just criminal. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but they like I don't know. Watching too much Animal House. <laughs> but yes. I, I've heard that as well, is that you get, you get so paralyzed, not knowing what to do or, or, what, or, or how to handle it. And, and if you start to get to that place, talk to someone. Right. Talk. Ask for help. And, and maybe not your roommate, because <laughs> your roommate may not be able to give you good advice. No. Talk to another faculty member or an uh, administrative staff person. Right. Or, I don't know, a school counselor. Anything. You know, a social, like, ours are social work, uh, degrees in social work. So they're counselors in terms of not just finding you a college, but actually helping you with your mentalness. And so talk to them, like get out of your head, basically, and talk to someone who has perspective on it. Because when you're freaking out because everything's coming due, your roommate is probably also freaking out because everything is due, and it's likely you're just gonna snowball each other into all kinds of, of anxiety. Bad choices. And bad choices. <laughs> Well, and I think that's what happens. Like, you work up into that. You're like, this is due in three hours. There's no way I can write ten pages. I barely have anything read for my bibliography. How am I going to pull this off? But you're probably freaking out five days earlier. Or you should have been. <laughs> yeah, so again, it's back to that planning and that just looking ahead and those kinds of things. And if you're truly stuck, if you're truly stuck, go ask for help. I mean... All of my classes have one paper extension, no questions asked. You can take one paper extension, I give you three calendar days to get it together, and then I, you turn it in with no penalty. And so there are probably gonna be other situations where you can do that, or you, like I had students come to the writing center, I don't know, this is due, blah, 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 and I was like, well, is there a late policy? And they're like, I don't know. I was like, let's look at your syllabus because sometimes it's worth it to take a 10% deduction to get the plagiarism stuff or anything else sorted out mm -hmm. and turn it in late to give yourself that extra day. I mean, I'm not That's absolutely true. strategizing. Yeah, yeah no, I mean, I, I think it's right. And, and reading through that syllabus and knowing, I had a student uh, take the, because as we're all doing the, the first year writing seminar, so we all have the same policies, so everyone has the three-day Extension, no questions asked. I had a student, you know, take that uh, on this last, on this last thing, 
and so on. And I think it was probably the right choice for them. I think something had come up, and so they were having uh, missing classes, but you know, not not their own fault. I mean, it's difficult as a as a student under pressure for midterms or finals or whatever to and lots of classes to make those decisions rationally and to make those decisions logically and um, I can sympathize with that and then, but again it's the same kind of thing that takes practice and, and being able to get yourself out of your head and and triage to a point where you're able to get your rest and come back and think on it at a time when you're when you're normal yeah yeah, yeah. that's a bad way to put it I mean you know no. you, you can't make decisions at two in the morning even if you think you can no no, you can't. Um, and your best writing is not done then, and it's probably not done when you're under pressure. You know, and sometimes just the best call is to, is to finish that paper and turn it in and, and okay. accept your seat. But, and then learn from it, right? Then, then it's like, well, so I don't like this happening. How do I do it differently next paper, next uh, final, next semester? How do I... How do I avoid having to make this same decision again in six weeks or three weeks? So there's, I want to say one thing about this whole plagiarism, academic dishonesty situation, and uh, that's that like those citation styles, they're not written in a foreign language, and students act like, well, I just don't know it. Well, there's a handbook and there are websites where you can look it up. Some of that problem-solving stuff is on you. Right? And if you try to look it up and you're still not sure, then come see me or go to the writing center. But this idea of, well, I don't know how to do it, so I'm not going to do it, that doesn't work. That excuse doesn't work. And they try to do that with APA all the time. Well, I've never done APA. I'm like, well, here's the handbook. <laughs> and I'm the, I think APA is easier. But I do, too. I actually prefer APA. The humanities people disown me for saying that. But... Um, but like this idea that, well, I don't know how to do that, so I'm just going to not do it. And I'm like, oh. Mm -hmm. um, so it's not a recipe for success. No. And up until a certain point, you know, like I'm forgiving for those kinds of things. But if it's like, I've told you five times, you go to this website to look up how to cite this article, and you're still not following instructions, and you haven't come talk to me, yeah, I'm taking points. I'm done. So like, I think it's also, you know, the, the silly thing is looking, if you were looking back on it as, a, as a, a fourth year person, looking back at your first year papers and the citations Don't you're do doing, that. They're not complicated. I, I was getting into some complicated APA citations when I was citing papers inside of papers mm -hmm. and the, the, the really complex stuff that APA actually does cover how to cite. But Like a regular old book, come on. <laughs> Not, yeah, you do have to go to Purdue's little owl site plug, exactly. and you know, it's really simple, or there's a bunch of apps that do it just wrong enough to get you a fail. But at least you're trying to cite it, right? So that's better than just not doing it or just whatever. But like the transition from MLA to APA just baffles me because they're like, well, I have no idea how to do this. I'm like, do you think you need an author? And they're like, what? And I was like, you need the same information. It's just put in a slightly different order. And so we even talk about, like, you know, why APA puts dates before the dates in MLA, like the way the citation style, like the, uh, the works cited or references pages are different and why. We talk about those things, and they still act like, well, I have no idea what I'm doing. I'm like, does it have a title? Is there an author? Is there a date? You still need those things. So some of it is, like, simple problem solving and not getting too wrapped up in it mentally. 
-hmm. And so, you know, yeah, is it going to be an easy transition? Probably not effortless or smooth completely, but, you know, problem solve and figure it out. Okay, I'm done. Okay. <laughs> so, basically our general advice is... I think it's what it's always been. Well, ask for help and work ahead. Yeah. That's basically what it boils down to. Or, you know, make poor choices. Those, that is your third exactly. option. But face the please, consequences. Well, then also, yeah, face the consequences. Yeah, I mean, you need to, rather than plagiarize, you could turn it in late and get a poor grade. I mean, you know, it's, it's, there's... Well, at there's least you, you maintain your ethics at that point. Yes, yes. Okay. Listeners, I would love your feedback on academic dishonesty or ethical quandaries that, <laughs> that you or asking for a friend have run into that we can pick apart in terms of what should be done. Because I am sure there are more than a handful of things. We're going to change the format to a Dear Abby column right now. I, I mean, <laughs> I, would love to, I would love to get that. <laughs> so oh, that we, yeah. we can dug Please in, send me in. your plagiarism stories. I'd love to respond. <laughs> well, maybe. It's obviously a plagiarism story, then it's probably going to be pretty straightforward. But in terms of, here's this thing that came up. We didn't, I, my friend, didn't know how to handle this. We weren't sure what the right process was or what we should do next time. Because uh, that stuff comes up. There's gray areas. There's things which we haven't talked about. And I'd love to dig into some of those. But until then, that's it for this week. Can I give you an email? Yes, that's right. Jeez. <laughs> it is. This semester is starting it's, to wear on me. <laughs> we record these on Mondays, which are just rough days, man. Okay, so if you would like to send me a tweet, I'm at Dr. Hyland, D-O-C-T-O-R-H-Y-L-A-N-D. Or if you've got a big explanation for one of these that you want to give me, you can reach me on email, peter.o.hyland, H-Y-L-A-N-D, at gmail.com. And now I think I need to probably go take an old man nap. <laughs> ah! All right. Thanks, everyone. See you next week. Bye. Bye.